Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Well, we're going to uh, jump right into our, 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 our story this week. It's, um, we're, we're continuing this, uh, this summer story series. Uh, and I'll just tell you, we're going to be talking about Noah. But before we talk about Noah, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I want you to ingrain this, this scripture in your, in your mind today because I think it fits very well with, with the life of Noah. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want you to participate with me because we are running this race of life together. And so this needs to be a two-way thing. So participate with me. I want you to say two phrases with me. The first phrase I want you to say is, I am God's workmanship. Declare that with me today. I am God's workmanship. God has prepared good works for me to do. Say that with me. God has prepared good works for me to do. That is extremely important because you were uniquely created by God. God is the artist. He's the carpenter. He's the creator. He's the inventor. And he didn't just invent mankind and create mankind. He created you. And you have to appreciate that, that you individually are God's workmanship. And he created good works in advance for you to do. Think about that. It's not like God just made you and sent you off to school. He prepared your lunch. All you got to do is eat it now, right? He prepared these good works. Think about that sequence, right? God created you. He prepared good works. Now he's sending you off to go do those good works. You don't have to spend your life stressing out, trying to figure out what are these good works that I'm supposed to do. God's already created them. And here's the real cool thing. The good works that God has prepared for you to do perfectly, perfectly, perfectly align with the person God created you to be. We often miss our prepared good works opportunities because we are trying to be someone God never intended us to be. You know, there's an old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. And if God wrote it, he'd say, you're looking for life and purpose in all the wrong places. And what he wants you to know today as we can dig in the life of Noah is live your life in pursuit of God first. Then your fulfillment will follow. So I got to just say today, if you're feeling that your life is insignificant, if you're feeling that your life is boring, if you're feeling that your life is just a constant grind and you really don't know what to make of it, this message is for you. You know, I think about Noah and I, Noah, in, in, in all honesty, he was just an ordinary man. If you read about the life of Noah, other than the ark, right, there's really nothing other than ordinary about Noah. But what he became was an extraordinary hero that impacted eternity. And to be honest, that's no different than what God is calling you to do today. He's trying to take ordinary people like you and me and help us do extraordinary things to impact eternity. So as you think about Noah, how many do-it-yourselfers do we have here today? Show of hands. How many of you guys like to create things, make massive things, whatever? So I'll be honest, I am not. I am not. And I can't lie because my wife is here tonight. If she wasn't here, I would tell you I am and whatever, but she, I'm just, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm kidding. But I am not. However, I will say, my, uh, you know, the only, the closest thing we have to creating big things and, and, and interesting things is, is Landry, um, back in 2012, he was determined to build a little fort. And I remember he took these, these cedar 
logs that we have. He wanted to stack them up because he wanted to make a fort so, we could, so he can play airsoft guns, right? And I remember the day that he made that, all the way back in 2012. I think we got a picture of it here. If we do show it, if not, no big deal. But there it is. Yeah. So he's got this fort. Look at all that stuff growing on. That is 2012, and it's still standing today. No nails, no rope, no, no post holes, no nothing. They're just up there leaning against each other. Think about that. Since 2012, wind, rain, sleet, snow, all the season, and it's still standing. So I'm just going to leave it. I think we need to get a plaque established 2012 and see how long this stays. But, but I got to tell you, Noah was the ultimate do-it-yourself guy. He completed the biggest do-it-yourself project in human history. Think about it. He had no YouTube channels. He had no DIY um, shows to watch. As a matter of fact, I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to blaspheme anything, but I would say he would put Chip and Joanna Gaines to shame. I would watch Noah's show a hundred times more than I would watch Fixer Upper because Noah's got it going on. Because you know what the incredible thing about Noah was? He built the biggest boat that we've ever known, and it worked the very first time. It worked the very first. I think that is also all you guys that think you're big and bad and hammering and cutting and piecing and slicing and putting together. How many mistakes have you made? You're like, okay, let me start over. Noah didn't get that chance. I think that that is incredible. Well, I'm going to assume that everybody here has heard the story about Noah's Ark, primarily because we've isolated that to a children's story. When you think about Noah's Ark, think about cute pictures, little books, little wallpaper, things like that, that's really cool for newborns and babies. But reality, there's so much importance in this story that we need to dig into and understand why was that, what happened, and what's its significance. So just to recap, right, man was, 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 was created by God, man was turning bad, God was saddened, God just said, you know what, I need to send a flood, I'm going to destroy life on earth, it had never rained before, but it rained, and the, flood, the earth was flooded, he finds one man that was righteous, he has him build a big boat with his bare hands, Noah then loads two of every kind of animal on the boat, which is actually probably more incredible than actually building the boat. But he had two of every kind of animal, along with his family, they're saved, and the world continues through the life and family of Noah. And that's what we know of the story. So let me just stop right here and let you know something. I think it's very important that you know that I take literal belief in the Bible. So before we go any further, I want you to know that I believe the Bible to be 100% true. I believe all the characters truly lived. I believe the stories that are written and the Bible really happened. So all that said, I believe the story of Noah really happened. I understand some words might get lost in translations. There might be, if you want to dig deep and find details in there, that's fine. But I do believe it really happened. I believe there was a man named Noah. I believe he built an ark by God's instruction. And I believe that you and I are here today as a result of the obedience and actions of Noah. And that's what you have to take away today is like, what obedience and actions do I need to take today so that the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that will be here worshiping God as well? So today, I hope that you leave inspired going home, reading the entire story of Noah. Start in Genesis chapter 6 and just keep going all the way through 9. It's a fascinating story, but let me give you a little bit of background before we jump into the scripture. Right? If you think about it, and this might be a little bit much, but I think it's important we, we, we go through this, right? 
The history of the Bible, and for those of you that, that, that may know more about this than I do, don't correct me here, correct me afterwards, okay? Because um, I got one more shot to make it right. But the history of the Bible, the history of humankind in the Bible is roughly about 6,000 years. So those of you going and, and, and getting all hyped up about Jurassic World, probably a good movie, but the facts are wrong, all right? There's about 6,000 years of earth history that the Bible tells us, right? Adam, if you think, the way that it breaks down is Adam was created about 4,000 years before Christ. And we now exist about 2,000 years after Christ. Noah was 10 generations after Adam. So that said, Noah was born about 1,000 years after Adam, which means that Noah is about 3,000 years before Christ, Okay, so while that's cool and fascinating, it's just facts, right? So the other thing you need to know is that this thing about the flood, why is it so significant? The flood ended an era on the earth. See, prior to the flood, it was still the remnants of the Garden of Eden. It was still the remnants of the perfect world that God created. And when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world. However, it's not like it was an immediate, now everything just turns to what we know it today. Over time, it says that man's heart was continually bent towards evil. And the earth prior to that is what we call the pre-sin condition. And what that means is the earth was self-sufficient. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There was no need for rain. There was no disease. There was no sickness. People lived to be hundreds of years old. Um, You know, as a matter of fact, Noah lived to be 950 years old. His grandfather, by the way, Everybody here, like, you're, old, you're as old as Methuselah, right? Noah's grandfather was literally Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. That was just the way it was on the earth back then. But after the flood, the earth changed. Sin remained in the world. We have disease. We have, these th- we have what we know today. And God said man's life will no longer be this long. Man's life will be no longer than 120 years. And that's the condition we live in today. Interesting fact Noah's name has meaning. I find this very funny because we all try to, try, to, try to name our kids something cool, right? Something different, something that we think would resonate. Noah's name, when it says when it goes to the, the, the lineage, his meaning is, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Little did they know their relief was going to come, they were just going to die right? <laughs> but, but, but in reality, it's funny how, how in our minds we set these, these wishes and aspirations and they're thinking, oh wow, you know, this guy, he could be special, maybe not, but here's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that he's really cool and he could lessen my burden. When God is saying, you're missing like the whole point here, right? Uh, Noah spent about 120 years building the ark. It's a long time. Noah was 600 years old when he started building the ark. I just told you he, was 950, he lived to be 950 years old. He was 600 years old when he started building the ark. So I did a little bit of math. I don't know, you know if this is the right way to do it, but I said, what percentage of 950 is 600? And then I went out and did a little bit of research and realized today in America, the average male lives to be about 80 years old. Okay? So you apply the same ratio. That means that in today's terms, Noah would have been like a 50-year-old man. So for those of you that are, that are thinking like, okay, I'm in the latter part of my career, I'm about to retire, that was never in God's plan, all right? And he's looking at Noah saying, you know, the, the, this part of your life is going to be amazing, right? So it'd be like Noah being 50 years old, working on the ark till he's 60 is, is really what it comes out to, right? So I don't know, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell me what Noah accomplished in the first 60% of his life. 
But what I do know is the last 40% was pretty amazing. So for those of you here that are wondering what you're going to do next because you're entering those golden years or those, those years where you're like, okay, the world doesn't view me as productive. Let me just challenge you today that you need to be trusting God that the next part of your life could be more amazing than any of your years prior to now. So don't ever give, don't ever give hope on that. So Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, they read, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. I want us to focus on these two statements. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was righteous, blameless. Noah walked with God. That is amazing because while God was grieved, while God was saddened with all of humankind, he found one that still followed him. He still found one that followed him. And the reason that is significant today is because you have to know that it might be hard. It might be hard, but it is possible to serve God in a wicked world. It might be hard, but it is possible to serve God in a wicked world. As a matter of fact, that's to be expected. It's really to be expected until Christ returned for us. Jesus referenced Moses, I mean, referenced Noah um, in, in, in Matthew in the New Testament. And in Matthew, it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? The days of Noah, they really don't sound too different than our day today. I mean, really, it's when they marry and give marriage until they didn't know what they're unaware. It's like they were watching The Bachelor. I'm just kidding. Did I just offend everybody? Sorry. Sorry. Okay. That'll, that'll resonate in a minute, right? All right. But the days of Noah don't sound too different than our day today. As a matter of fact, I didn't put it up on the screen, but if we were to read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, right before the scripture we read, it said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So you look at that and we say, well, there is such a strong correlation between the days of Noah and our day today. Think about it, guys. We can put our heads in the sand, but there is more slavery today than there's ever been on the face of this earth. The only difference is where we're, we're, we're people are, are kidnapping children and selling them for the sexual desires of evil people. There's organ harvesting going on. People are killed just because there's money to make off organs. Think about all how we politicize issues and it dehumanizes the real issue. In fact, we have lost an appreciation for human life. And you can put your head in this end and think, oh, it's really not that bad because my area is not that bad. But as you look around, our days are not that different than they were with Noah. And I'm telling you that the more you look at, at our society, the more you have to be a little bit concerned about what you see out there. But that's not what I want to tell you today. What I want you to do is be encouraged 
that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless. He walked with God. I want you to know that that can be you. I want you to know that it might be hard, but it is possible to serve God in a wicked world. The reality is the battlefield that we fight is typically 18 inches long. It's typically 18 inches long. It's a distance between your heart and your mind. Our battle, our battle typically comes down to choosing to pursue the favor of God over the favor of man. That's our battle. You know what to do. You just got to go out and do it. And the reality is God will grant you both. He will grant you both if you pursue him first. You can have favor with both God and man, but you got to have favor with God first. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's telling you, do not be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. So just as God judged humankind in the days of Noah, the New Testament is filled with warning of another day of judgment. It is, you know, I, I just, I wish I could sugarcoat this, but I think it's important that we know that we sing wonderful songs and we say wonderful things about the love of God. And we say that God loves you. He's for you. He will fight for you. He's your shield. He's your fortress. And God is all those things. God does love you. But God is also a just God. And there is a day of judgment coming for us, just like there was a day of judgment in the days of Noah. What God is saying is like, he's saying, guys, you know, I love humankind and I give humankind a free will, but there is also a day when we will be judged for our sin. And that's something that we cannot gloss over. So today I just want to share with you three things that I think we learned from the life of Noah, all right, or the the story of Noah. The first point I want us to know is very simply, one person can make a big difference. I really like the way a pastor out in Alabama, Chris Hodges, put it. He just said, very simply, guys, Noah shows us very plainly, one guy makes a difference. Through one guy, the world was saved. So just think about it. I don't know what the what population the world was back then, but in Mansfield, I think we have about 60,000 people. And there's more than one person in this room today, so that means our burden's a little bit less than what Noah carried, right? So if we do our part, all of us can make a big difference. Noah shows us that one person can change the world. Noah saved humanity through the ark and by the grace of God. We make a big difference by sharing salvation through the gospel by the grace of God. Think about that. Noah's point of salvation was the ark. Our point of salvation is the gospel. That is our duty. For us, it is the gospel. For every person here that think your life doesn't count. Again, this story is for you because Noah, like I said, was 600 years old. 600 years old when he started building the ark. So for some of you, you got to know today, it's never too late to get started with something for God. It's never too late. God doesn't want us to just live our lives, attend church, and take care of ourselves. I mean, I, I, I really hate to tell it to you this way, but like I said, I want to shoot it to you as straight as possible. Is You being here is a good start. But this isn't living the Christian life. You come here to get refreshed. This is halftime. This is coming to be encouraged. You live your Christian life outside these doors and outside these walls. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to include others. He wants us to impact the lives of others. Let's just dig into that for a quick second, right? There's two things I want us to know about impacting the lives of others and making a difference. One is start with your family. Start with your family. I know half of you are like, hey, I'm out. Never mind. You know, 
If you want me to go out and talk to a stranger, I'll do that, but I'm not talking to my family. No, but we can impact our family, but really what we're talking about is our sphere of influence. God found favor with Noah, and don't, don't, don't let this point be lost on you. The Bible says God found favor in Noah. There was one man, but who was saved? Just Noah? No, his whole family. His whole family. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, this is one of those scriptures you got to dig into the original meaning of, of the words here, because I don't want you to walk away saying, As a father and mother, I've accepted Christ, therefore my kids are now saved. I'm not, this is not what that is saying. The original Greek for household was a word oikos, and that means sphere of influence. So this scripture really means that you will impact your sphere of influence. You believe in Jesus Christ, then you should impact your sphere of influence. So make no bones about it. Faith is a personal decision, but it has a community impact. So who might be impacted through your salvation, through your favor with God? That's the question you have to start with today. The second thing is very, very encouraging that I want you guys to know is God is looking for someone to make a difference. God is looking for someone to make a difference. Second Chronicles tells us, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for someone to empower. God is looking for someone to strengthen. I don't know about you, but that resonates with me. And I just want to raise my hand and say, God, here I am. Look no further. Empower this guy. Empower me. Strengthen me because I want to be that guy you're looking for. Is that in your heart today? Because that's what the life of Noah ought to be calling you to do. God is looking for that. Now, the other thing you have to understand to to, to make a difference as one person is to make a difference, we have to be different. Being a light in a dark world would require us to make different decisions counter to what our culture wants us to make. You got to have that courage. You got to have the courage to bless those who persecute you. You got to have the courage to pray for your enemies. You got to have the courage when someone takes, takes something from you to give them the shirt off your back. You got to have the courage to love the unlovable. You have to have the courage to build something for God and not just for you. You have to have the courage to love people and to love God continually. You have to have the courage to be able to make a different standard for what you watch, a different standard for what you say, a different standard for what you think. All those are courage, but, in, but we just read that God says, that's fine. I know you can't do it by yourself. I'm looking to give you the strength and the power for you to do it. That's what it means to make a difference. The second thing that we can learn from Noah's life, and I really believe somebody needs to fully understand this today, is God feels emotion. God feels emotion. He is not cold or stoic. God feels emotion. This is a very important point that I just feel very strongly somebody here needs to understand. God was grieved by the condition of man's heart. He was sad. He was hurt. And this is critical because it shows that God deals with us personally. He is capable of emotion. This is how he connects with us. Make no bones about it. God cannot be manipulated. And God's purposes are unchanging. But he is open and responsive in how he deals with us. This is wonderful because it is the basis of our relationship with him. 
Think about this way. You know, God's not this cosmic referee that's just trying to blow the whistle when you break the rules and, 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 and call a foul or penalty. That's the Mansfield Fieldhouse. Anybody coach there? Goodness. I mean, those referees are like, you say, that wasn't a foul. Oh, yes, it was. And so was this. So was this. It's like, wow, okay. There's no mercy there, right? I mean, wow. But anyway, if you're not coaching there, you need to go coach sometime to know like, okay, this is not God, right? Because God is the opposite of the Mansfield Fieldhouse referees, right? So, but, but this is wonderful because God wants a relationship with us, not a religion, not a religion. God's not looking at the pluses and minuses. He's looking at the relationship, right? I believe this is foundational, even more important than the relationship. This is foundational to show us that God has given us a free will. God has given us a free will. You choose if you accept him or not, but God has given us the free will. So think about it this way, much like the purposes of marriage, right? You can be both committed and disappointed. Understand that? All the wives say amen, right? You can be committed and be disappointed. You can be hurt, you can suffer consequences and still be committed. You can be sinned against and still reconcile. You can be the one who wronged and still repent and be committed. We see this dynamic between God and humanity in the story of Noah. God is no more or no less committed to loving humanity today. He's just given us a completely different answer through Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know what? Don't look to man. In the days of Noah, we look to man to build a boat and save humanity. But today we're looking to Christ. We're looking to God himself saying, I will send you the boat. You just have to accept to get on and you can join and live with me forever. Romans chapter two tells us, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What this scripture is telling us is God's love and kindness and patience is what leads us to him. In other words, God actually woos us to him. He isn't punishing us to him. He isn't bullying us to him. He isn't saying, I'm powerful and you're not. Therefore, you better line up or else. He's not doing that. He's not the great dictator. God is pursuing us with his love, his kindness, and his patience. That's what should call you to repentance. How could the ultimate, ultimate being ever that had the power to speak this world in existence, to create every one of us uniquely, How could he have the kindness, the love, and patience to wait for you to choose him? That is awesome. Think about when you're pursuing your wives, men. You're like, hey, I did a card. I got her a card. She she should fall for me now, right? And you're like, wait a second. This is taking too long, right? But think about God. God is patient, patient, patient. However, only after we choose to have a hardened heart toward him, Well, he allowed us to be subject to judgment. So God is not judging you first. He is loving you first. And the third thing I want you to take from the the life of Noah and the story of Noah is the story of Noah is not really the story about Noah. It's about God. It's about God. It's not really about Noah. Our story 
is not our own. If you think about that, I don't want my life to end and people talk about the things that Darren did. I want my life to end and people talk about the things that God did through me. I want to be remembered for Christ and not for me. I want us, I want you to take on that same thing about what will your story be and what are you promoting? You know, when I think about my children, one common prayer that Kim and I pray for on the kids is, is I just pray, God, please show how strong you are through the life of Catherine, Landry, and Jonah. You know, to be honest, it doesn't matter what they end up doing for a career. It doesn't matter really where they end up doing for the rest of their life. What matters is, are they open and have the seeds been planted for God to show who he is through their life? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What Jesus is saying is live your life to find purpose in God and fulfillment will follow. Don't try to find fulfillment and then try to fit in God. If we limit ourselves to what we want, to what we think, then we're going to be missing out on so much more than we can imagine with God. You have to know the cure for depression, for bitterness, for greed, is gratitude, generosity, and unfettered love. That is what God has called us to do. Let go of what we want and grasp the ability to love God and love people. That's the essence of what we see in Noah's life. But as we close, I want to I want to leave another scripture with you. You know, we mentioned Jesus mentioned Noah in the New Testament, which last night I mentioned, how awesome would that be if you got quoted by Jesus? Wow. You said, hey, you know what? I was at Creekwood the other day and I heard Darren say, that'd be awesome, right? But it's not going to happen, right? But, but Peter also talks about Noah. And Peter says in chapter three, he says, and by that means of these, and by... And and that, that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What that's saying is the world was created. We just talked about the story of Noah. There was, um, it existed, but it was flooded with water and it perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So those, th- that phrase, by the same word, means when God said, Remember, God spoke the word in existence, the world in existence. He spoke everything into existence, right? So when it was time to rain and flood, God just said rain or whatever that word was. He just said rain. And what Peter is saying is now by that same word, when God would say rain, when he's saying by the same word, the heavens that now exist are stored up with fire. This is the second judgment that we're going to see. It's being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So what Peter is setting up for you is, okay, you guys think God's mean. Here he is. He said he's not going to flood us by water or destroy us by water. But God's saying there will be a judgment that will come by fire. You're like, wait a second, God. So what's the difference? I want to drown or burn, right? But Peter is saying before you jump to that conclusion, you've got to look at verse 8. And it says, but do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day, is as a thousand years, 
And a thousand years is as one day. Now, we can dissect that all we want to be right, wrong, whatever. But what I want you to know today, that means that sometimes isn't some, aren't some days longer than others for you? Some days, aren't you going through something? And you're like, when is this going to end? I don't understand why every day, every day I'm just hit with these negative things. I don't know when this is going to end. And then there's some days where you're like, wow, that was incredible. I wish I could have that day last forever. And what God is saying is God is so patient that he sees no difference. And if you're going through an extended trial, if you're going through an extended hard time, God sees it. And whether it's one day or a thousand, it doesn't matter. And if you're going through a great time right now and you think it's so fast and you can't hold on to it, it doesn't matter because to God, he sees it all. And then you go to verse nine, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should that all should reach repentance. What this is saying, folks, is that yes, God in, in all his purposes and all his promises is telling us there will be a day of judgment. But God's also saying, I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want to judge anybody. I want everybody to come to heaven. I want everybody to accept the salvation story of Christ. But I have to have a provision for those that, that don't. That's what God is saying. And the the word patience here, God's patience is he is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's holding back his judgment because he's waiting for you. It's like losing in a baseball game. And they just keep adding innings after innings after innings after innings because one day they know you're going to win, right? Don't call the game yet. Let's go into the 27th inning because I know you're going to get a hit. I know you're going to score. I know you're going to win. And by God prolonging his judgment, that's what he's doing. He goes, I see you right now. I see your struggle and I see that you're having difficulty obeying me. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold back my judgment and I'm going to try to send other Christians your way because I want them to minister into your life so that you will turn your heart toward me. That's how much God loves you. He is waiting for you. You, his workmanship, his creation, the object of his affection, Think about what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So what's holding you back from carrying out these good works that God has prepared for you to do? Think about it. Think about this. Some of you really need to know this one. Think about Noah, his only fulfillment for 120 years, his only source of fulfillment for 120 years was being obedient to God. That's it. No one believed it would rain. It took him 120 years to build the ark, right? No one believed it would rain. No one believed it would flood. Noah most likely received no pats on the back from his friends or colleagues. No one walked by and said, hey, great cut of wood there, Noah. Hey, great door. I see you're going to fit a lot of animals through here. Hey, great job on this, whatever you're building, Noah. Great. No, he probably got no pats on the back. His work was most likely ridiculed and not understood. So why is that important for us to understand? Because if anybody had any reason to feel insignificant, unimportant, forgotten, or lost in the grind, it was Noah. It was Noah. Every day getting up to go build something, he had no idea what he was building. 
and then go on to bed and come back and do it again. It sounds easy to say it took him 120 years, but think about year 57, year 63, year 72. I mean, this starts to put it in context, right? The only fulfillment he had was being obedient to God, and that's the exact same formula that you and I need to follow today. Purpose and fulfillment is found by being obedient to God. Look, some of you are facing the twilight of your career, and you're scared to death because there's a whole younger generation coming up under you that the world looks at you and say, you're nothing but an expense, and we can get this work done in so many different ways cheaper. And you're scared. I get it. That's, that's where we're headed right now, right? But for some of you today, I want you to know that the latter years of your life are gonna be more amazing than anything you've experienced before if you take the time to be obedient to God. Think about that. 120 years for Noah of being nothing but obedient. And here we cry when we don't get the promotion. We cry when we don't get the raise. We cry when we don't get what we want. It's crazy when all God is saying is just be obedient to me. So as we close, I just want some of you to know today that you are significant and you need to be encouraged that God knows, God cares, and God is making a way. Some of you are heading down the right path and I firmly believe that. You get this. And you need to keep up your obedience, your direction, and your vision because some of you are going down the right path but you're on year 57, year 83, And you might be on the verge of growing weary and God is telling you today that he will renew your strength. And I want you to pray for that today. Say, God, I want you to renew my strength because I am fully committed to being obedient to you. For others, you need to know that it's not too late to try something new. Again, Noah was 600 years old when he started building the ark. You might be 50, 55, 60, 45, I don't know. But it's not too late to try something new. For God, you just need to gain the courage to act on what you know God is calling you to do. And yet, the one that I'm concerned about the most today, if I can just be your coach for a second and just speak real honest with you, I really think this is the majority of this room. And I just think for others here, you are in the right place. You're here at the right time. But you need a change of heart and perspective. God has led you in his sovereignty to your sphere of influence, your family, your job, and your community, but you're failing to appreciate it. You're failing to accept it. You look at it as contempt, like, God, is this really it? Is this really it, really? Look at what my family has turned into. Look at this job I got. I don't even know the house I want to be in. And God has said, yeah, 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 you're, you're in the right place, right time but you don't want to accept it. Your perspective is selfish and you're wanting to build things on your own. And today, God is asking you to change your perspective. God is asking you to take on that heart of obedience to say, God, I'm here. And I I will do whatever you're asking me to do. Just like Noah, 120 years. Think about it. When Noah was a kid, he didn't wake up wanting to be a boat builder. He didn't go to school for it. He had no experience doing it. He could have been very bitter saying, God, I'm 600 years old. I am half, I'm more than halfway through my life. I'm 60% through my life. And you're asking me to do what? And I think some of you today need to answer that same question with God. 
But lastly, I love the fact that God has been patient with us. Just like in the days of Noah, he had 120 years to build the boat because I believe God was waiting for somebody else. I believe God was saying, there's one man here, but if I prolong the building of this ark, there might be another one. Just like that today, if you've never accepted Christ as your savior and you, or you need to rededicate your life to him today, I believe today is your day. So if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. If that is you today saying, I've never accepted Christ as my savior and, I, and I, I need to ask him to be Lord. I've never confessed my sins. I've never confessed him as Lord. And today's your day. Would you please raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. Would you say, Darren, please pray with me today. Pray with me. I'd like to accept Christ. Just raise your hand. We're just gonna say a quick prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Raise it a little higher. I want to see it. Thank you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I admit today that I am a sinner. And I give my life to you because I confess with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I give my life to you and I repent, Father, of who I am. And from this day forward, I give my heart and my life. And I dedicate that to you. Father, forgive me for my sins and take me in, adopted into your family. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.